Hey, welcome to Agitated Podcast. We're back again. Um, this is episode five. This is Shelly Williams. This is my first time doing the uh, charming and enthusiastic welcome. So I hope I did a good job. <laughs> I feel very charmed. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, so yeah, five episodes in, and that doesn't include our special episode, right? Um, so we've been putting out some content and uh, being new, but far enough in, I think it might be a good time to just check in and see how we feel like we're doing. We've been working on this like every fucking day, nonstop <laughs> since we started yeah. this, it feels like. Yeah, it's a lot. It's, <laughs> it's definitely more time-consuming than I thought it was going to be. Like, not to say that I was like naive or thought it would be easy, but I'm like, oh, wow. Jessica does all the editing. Right. And so she puts in like dozens more hours due to that so thank you you and say thank you right now (laughs) i'm sure it's also very tedious and frustrating at times and uh we see you and we love you we had lots of technical recording issues that she magically made it seem like were not the case so thank you (laughs) mercury retrograde maybe (laughs) that was going on for the last but i think we've gotten better i think we're doing pretty well People can feel free to tell us. It's, it's, there's a there's a not a straight path upward here though. A little up and a little down. Mm-hmm. We're certainly noticing. Yeah, yeah. some episodes are have been better than others. Some parts have been better yeah. than others. Zigging and zagging. Yeah. One feedback I got from somebody who knows all of us was that it seemed like we were kind of like a little bit serious, which was surprising to me. And then when I thought about it, it was like, I don't think that's seriousness. I think that's nervousness. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> which we have had some. So one of the things that we talked about recently was that this is not meant to be like the Debbie Downer podcast, even though we are talking about very serious things sometimes. And I think we want to be clear that we take them seriously, but we also want to be, you know, our lighthearted selves that are, you know, tripping through this existence and trying to make the best of it. So we're going to try and strike that balance better, right? I don't know exactly well, and what not we'll do, to but... belittle the need for seriousness because I think a lot of the, you know, hardcore things we're bringing to the table, we are doing so because we're not hearing discussion on that in any other places. But like Twitter, true, but we're also know? hilarious, so... and we want people to be able to see that and enjoy that and with us. Well, yeah, we'll sprinkle it in. Just sit back. Don't worry. More anonymous like critiquer. Millie, lots of times you're the one who's like, except for this is a very bad thing, which I think is really good. <laughs> there are podcasts who who do talk about some of this really heavy content, but they go a little too far being light, you know, sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think, mm-hmm. um, I mean, at least they're talking about stuff. At least they're aware and knowledgeable. But I think there's so much irony poisoning that sometimes it can listen, go too listen, far. Listen, y'all, we are anything but dry. Right. (laughs) All right. Well, anyways, uh, we're I think I think we're feeling our way. And the main thing is that we really appreciate the people who have been hanging with us. And a lot of them, you are people who know us. And so I I just want to hear more about like how people feel like we're doing like fully, you know, I mean, people have given us good positive feedback. And but uh, 
you know, right. That was helpful to get us to five, to. but now you can be a little more real with us. We promise. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. We We're won't not like back down at this point. <laughs> There's too much pride going on, so you can be like real. We want to make good content. We want to make content that you know serves people. Not just to feel disheartened. When we were, like, but... putting this plan together, we said we wanted the podcast to be inspirational, educational, and actionable. So, that's the goal. <laughs> yeah. So, how are we doing on that? I feel like we could be more actionable, to maybe. Um, but also, we're going to maybe have a few more guests than than we did for the first five coming up here. And that, I think that also maybe helps, you know, to talk to people who are sort of like experts in doing action on the thing that they're talking about versus us kind of maybe from a little bit more of a distance talking about some topic. And lucky you all who got in at the beginning while we still have, you know, improvements to be made. Please also continue. Yeah, like give us more feedback on the website. You can leave comments. And on Facebook, you can DM us on Instagram or Twitter or whatever. Or if you know us, tell us there. Um, and also, if there's topics that you think would be interesting for us to cover, we would accept suggestions. At least we'll consider them. And we learned recently that the that the anchor format for recording agitations is sort of lame because you only get a minute. So we're going to come up with something else. So I don't know if we'll have it by the end of this episode or what, but soon you will have a different way to tell us what's agitating you. Okay, so... With that in mind, uh, let's go into our agitated section. And Caitlin, I think you're going to start us out today, right? Yes, I am going to start us off. And mine is that, so I've I've been trying to bring a good a good thing. And then I had a good thing happen to me that I want to share. And it is agitating me in the sense that I'm spending a lot of time thinking about it and a lot of energy in it, which is that I, so I used to keep, bees. I used to be a beekeeper back when I lived in Eureka uh, about five years ago for a number of years. And I have this magical blessing thing that happens to me, which is that bees swarm to me. (laughs) So what that means is that uh, bees, when they're choosing a new home, end up choosing my house uh me and where I live and it's happened to me a whole bunch of times and it just happened a couple weeks ago again for the seventh time so I had it happen four times in Eureka and this is the third time that it happened here in in Sacramento the other times in Sacramento I ended up um not keeping those bees because I wasn't really set up to do it um and I won't go into all the details maybe sometime we should do an episode on bees because I could talk about it for forever (laughs) Um, and that's not this time, but um, but basically when a hive it has outgrown its situation, it swarms. And so the queen and about half to three quarters of the bees leave and go find a new place to live. And they actually have this very beautiful democratic process that they use to decide through basically kind of consensus where they will pick their new home and it ends up lots of times being me and my my location. So I had the bees swarm in a couple weeks ago and we didn't get to see it. We saw kind of the end of it. But there was also a whole component that was kind of lame, which is that my neighbor was very opposed and was not appreciating the beauty of it at all. And I just don't even really understand how somebody in 2021, knowing all that we know about how important bees are, 
how endangered bees are, how we need them to survive our existence on life on Earth will, would not work if we didn't have bees would be like negative about having yeah. bees as neighbors. That's absurd. But, They're like the most important thing. Yeah, they really are. Yeah. Also, something that I read recently was that uh, bees are like the only species that doesn't cause any harm in their existence. In fact, to the contrary, they only, you know, when they pollinate, when they when they collect their food, it's actually positive. You know, like even butterflies, caterpillars will eat, you know, I mean. What about bee stings, though? Come on. Those things hurt. What about bee stings? <laughs> So you get fucking stung. So it hurts for 15 minutes. <laughs> they don't, and I'm they kidding. only do that if you harm them. Bees never just come and sting you. That's not a thing. But also, by the way, hummingbirds are also equally beneficial. I, the, the thing that we read was, was wrong because I thought later, wait a minute, hummingbirds are the same. They don't do any injury to anything in their existence. They're so cute. So cute. Bees are so cute, too, though. They are. Back to your prick neighbors. Sorry. But Mm -hmm. the idea that someone would be so egotistical to think that they own, they own and have, like, the power over the airspace Mm -hmm. is, like, Well, just to be clear, too, the thing that had him upset was the fact that the bees collect water from his pool. So his swimming pool had bees in it and that was what was you know so offensive to him was he wouldn't swear the damn pool yeah his pool is the problem an open (laughs) body of water outside like nature is gonna fuck with it with toxic chemicals in it yeah unfortunately bees actually do prefer um a pool a chlorine pool as their water source because they communicate to each other about the source through the smell and so it makes it easy for them to find it and bees do need water um especially in hot weather like we have here in sacramento they need water in order to um uh cool down the hive and then in the production of honey as well so the chlorine doesn't damage it not as far as I know. I mean, people always ask about that, and it seems like not. Um, I mean, I'm not sure if it's, like, ideal, but it doesn't seem like it does, no. And it's really hard to deter them from choosing the pool as their water supply. And in my previous home, I found out years after keeping the bees that my neighbors also were supplying water to the bees. I try, I try, but they prefer to go a little bit further away. So if you create a water source, like, right next to their hive, they're just not really going to pick it. Um, so I, I tried in Eureka, but it turns out that actually my bees were going to a neighbor's bird bath and they made sure to keep the bird bath full all the time for the bees. They put rocks in the bird bath so that the bees didn't drown. And they told me that they watched the bees and, you know, really enjoyed their presence all the time. And these were, you know, Republican flag waving people who, um, knew about me because I was an elected official there and I don't know if they voted for me but they did go out of their way to tell me that they loved my bees and so that's the kind of neighbor you want not the dickhead who lives next door like a republican in Humboldt County is gonna be like more pro-nature than a liberal in the heart of Sacramento and that's pretty totally this guy has like a compost pile or a compost, you know, one of those fancy compost turner things, which good for him. And, you know, a bit of a garden, which actually the bees would help his garden. He's mm-hmm. like about the distance away that they're going to ha- they would help his tomatoes to actually pollinate better. 
um, and, and, you know, create more fruit. But um, so what we did is we ended up moving the bees. It's interesting, though, their process that they use to pick their home. They actually did a big study on this in Cornell and they found that they like 99% of the time choose the very best location within miles of radius. So that's another reason are, why I feel just extra special object. that they pick me so many times. I know, I know. Yeah. I don't know what I did to deserve this. <laughs> I mean, I'll take it. I obviously. So we tried to entice the bees to come here last year and they thought about it. I had some show up, but they chose not to because I had picked a spot that wasn't right next to the neighbor's fence line, um, even though that was the place they had picked before. And then uh, this year I tried again in this spot that was just too sunny, I think was the issue. And they didn't. And so then I like moved the hive equipment and I thought, you know, it was kind of, I knew the neighbor would be pissed because he had gotten mad at me last time, but I just thought, what are the odds of this? So low, it's not going to work anyways. And then within a couple of days they showed up and that really is the best spot for them. So we ended up building like kind of a shade canopy over where they are now. So I think they're in a good place. They're doing really well. Checked them yesterday. Lots of eggs and queen doing happy and lots of babies and they're already putting up honey and it's so awesome to watch them coming in and out of the hive and they're just so busy and they're working so hard and they're doing good and it just makes me feel so nice and calm to just like sit and you can just sit right outside the hive they don't pay any attention to you they're just so docile and and sweet and to just feel like okay the world is totally fucked but right now maybe it's okay because here's these bees doing their business collecting pollen making babies and it just makes me feel like there's like hope so yes yay (laughs) i love it and we have to like link i don't know i mean because the video it's like hard to like understand really like this is like a swarm it's not like a trickle this is like a whoosh of bees all the way a sudden you know what i mean yeah, no, it's, I mean, we missed that part, but when they come into the hive, it's an amazing thing. And this is where it's like, we can't really go into all of it here because it, it could take a whole episode. But if anybody would want us to just like take, maybe we could do like a special episode and I could tell you guys everything you want to know and um, we could explore all the things. But maybe we can, so Brad, my partner, has been really into it. He's been recording the bees in slow motion and every day he goes out there and makes bee videos. So maybe um, we can link to where he's putting them up on youtube just for our own purposes so that people can see the bees if you want to maybe i can find there was one year the one time all these seven times where i actually was right there when the when the swarm came in i was hanging out my laundry when it first started and um i so i saw the whole thing and i i got on facebook live and uh just basically started screaming it was so cool Ten thousand. imagine ten thousand bees all around you but in the most like friendly beautiful non-scary way it was awesome so who else is agitated Mm. probably not with something so happy (laughs) yeah my agitation does not have a lot of uh cute elements to it uh or peaceful or any of those things um i want to talk about the the news that i think was from earlier this week, we're now, what, Thursday, the 1st of July. So I think it was like Monday or Tuesday that um, a YouTube account called Right Wing Watch uh, was 
um, completely taken down and were told there would be no recourse. And uh, this is an account on YouTube and they have presence on other social media as well. And basically what they do is like monitor, expose and debunk uh, right wing extremism. So a lot of their content includes like actual clips of, you know, and often these are people also on YouTube um, you know, doing things that that violate the terms of service. Um, and so they got taken down. There was a big hubbub later that day. They were reinstated. And that's good, I guess. But it, it really did kind of open back up this conversation that we really need to keep having. And, and this is the new cycle for this is over. But the solutions and the concerns and none of these things are, are really being discussed anymore. It was like that one day and then it was gone. So we, we need to talk more about it. Um, and the dangers of having big tech be the arbiter of our speech, um, because this is the kind of thing that that can happen and has happened many times. And we hear about it. So there was a couple of years ago, there was a huge um, sweep on YouTube where they took down a bunch of accounts that were supposedly, you know, spreading terrible. I mean, a lot of them were um, spreading really terrible conspiracy theories and, and um, you know, things that uh, inspire some of the worst actors out there. Um, but in that, you know, Southern Poverty Law Center, um, you know, got hit in that in the crossfire. Um, and it was another example of, oh, Southern Poverty Law Center um, and everybody, you know, big uproar and they did get everything restored. But what we never hear about are, you know, a lot of smaller independent or just individuals who are on social media using their voice to talk, you know, a lot of um, Palestinian voices get routinely, constantly censored, um, you know, sex workers. There's just all these marginalized groups who are not in vogue with the liberal establishment. And so nobody's going to fucking fight for them. Nobody's going to give them a platform to talk about it. Same, you know, and then we look at conservatives who are constantly whining about de- being deplatformed and demonetized, but they have Fox News and other media that is, you know, has a huge reach and a huge platform that they can go on and whine about this, um, you know, injustice. Um, but when you look on the other side of things, there's nowhere for a Palestinian activist who gets taken down to go um there's nowhere for them to turn nobody's gonna you know you know there's just nobody uh having their back in any kind of major sense and and so i don't think people realize how the the magnitude of this um and how often smaller individual and independent um you know folks just trying to talk about what's going on in their in their neighborhoods, you know, like they could just show something that's going on in their neighborhood and that could violate violate the terms of surface. Um, and all, also all of these these algorithms and these whatever their their guidelines are, are very opaque. Nobody knows what the fuck they are. So that's the other you know part of it that's really scary. Is- and meanwhile, like on the right, they're literally like, I'm a Nazi and I believe Nazi shit. And like talking about that on, on the other. Well, and how dangerous it is to love that in with you know people who are protesting or i mean arguably a lot of these videos that are showing police brutality 
could be framed as against the terms of service. I mean, that hasn't happened yet, but... And um, there'd be nothing we could do about it. Things are set up, right. Or if the news cycle changes and things, you know, it's just, it's all based on the news cycle. Um, What is okay and what's not. And I think they do like adjust their algorithms in that way. And that's not a good way to do things because if- And why would we be okay with some giant company being the one to decide this for our society? I mean, we think of social media as being like a potentially democratizing way for us to get our voices out and talk to each other, but not if it's filtered through the algorithms of a for-profit are you know like the biggest some of the biggest companies in the world and and then we just give them away that power and act as if that's not gonna gonna bite us later and undermine democracy in a major way right exactly um and then you know i i i want to talk about the democrats role in this and just how utterly well, actually, first I want to, um, so Evan Greer, I don't know if anyone, uh, I think a lot of people who listen to us might know who they are, but um, Evan Greer uh, first came on the scene as a musician and then kind of turned into a uh, net neutrality activist, and they are with Fight for the Future. Um, and they did a really incredible thread on this that we will link the full, it's a, one of those monster threads. If I read the whole thing on this um, episode, it would take up too much time, but it is worth reading. Um, but there's a few things that they said that I want to highlight. And, you know, this is somebody who is, you know, if you know anything about Evan Greer, they are not on the side of the Nazis, right? Um, there's, this is... Uh, This is coming from a real place. They say over and over, we see that when progressive groups pressure platforms to simply remove more content faster without even paying lip service to the potential of collateral damage, it leads to systematic removal of legitimate content and disproportionately silences marginalized voices. Um, And... You know, and that just goes back to like we we will hear about Southern Poverty Law Center and Right Wing Watch, um, and and but there are for every one of those higher profile, liberal establishment approved organizations that get censored, there are thousands more um, who you know are never going to come back, (laughs) you know? And that's kind of the most important thing, right? Because I think a lot of people would say, well, it's working, you know? Like, people say, oh, no, right-wing watch get taken down, and then they get put back up. So what's the problem? Right, exactly. Um, And so I want to give an example of kind of the, the corner that the liberal Democratic establishment has painted themselves into when it comes to these issues which, um, let's see how to frame this. Uh, okay, well, anyway, we're going to talk about Ted Lieu um, as kind of the the shining example of... Well, we've talked about Ted Lieu before. We So you got it off of Ted Lieu, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was the one who brought up the, the gripe about him yeah, last... Yeah, you were. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Well, he just... Because you're on Twitter and that's where he talks. That's so true. It's... Sorry, dude, if you're going to say dumb shit, we're going to talk about it. Yeah. So Ted Lieu is, um, you know, somebody who caught a lot of flack, um, well, not not enough, but a little bit back in 2018 when he, you know, and he is a recipient of a lot of Google money. Um, he 
argued passionately. People called him like Google's lawyer because of, you know, the the way that he argued in favor of their free speech rights and their First Amendment rights to suppress any content that they want to. Um, and, you know, we all here, if you know anything about Move to Amend, we don't agree with corporate constitutional rights. Fundamentally, we think it's wrong. Um, and Understatement. That's like <laughs> our main work. That's our main yeah, work. We've dedicated our entire lives to abolishing it. <laughs> <laughs> and can I say here that Ted Lieu is a former co-sponsor of the We the People Amendment? And presumably he still would be because their office has indicated that his position hasn't changed, although he has not signed on yet this term. So So I don't know. It's a little, we're getting a little in the weeds here talking about that part of our work (laughs) here, but it does apply. um, And it's real. And this is a space where we can actually talk about that. But yeah, so he, he does this, right? And then if you look at the year before, he signed the Supreme Court brief that said that small businesses couldn't deny service to anyone. It was like the, you know, the bakery stuff, which obviously like that's complicated. But but at the end of the day, what he said was that small businesses don't have First Amendment rights, but monopolies like Google do. Um, and that is literally the most insane shit I've ever heard. Just for context, this case was referring to a same-sex couple who attempted to get a wedding cake from a bakery, and the bakery refused them, um, citing their First Amendment religious right. It was in, well, 2017 was the brief, I feel like it was, uh, you know, maybe the year before, maybe 2016. Yeah, and it was definitely an important case, and um, and the main and the point here though is that the reasoning that a small business can't doesn't have First Amendment rights, which we would agree with, um, because corporations don't have First Amendment rights because they're not people, but that Google does have First Amendment rights is ludicrous, and the implications of that who's going to be able to assert their First Amendment rights better? Some company with unlimited resources that owns all of our information or some little business in Podunk, Colorado. And you see this like reflected in just kind of general liberal rhetoric if you're on Twitter and you see like, you know, a a right winger complaining about censorship and then you see liberals in the comments smugly going, ah, well, they're, you know, a private corporation and they can do whatever they want. And actually, you know, the right has a more coherent distinction between monopolies, antitrust, like they understand all this stuff way better than liberals do even though they're disgusting pieces of shit they do and they and liberals just look so stupid every time they bring this argument up because it's like you're you're actually sounding worse than the conservatives. yeah and it's similar to like how excited they get when companies step in to you know weigh in on voting rights legislation or like some other thing that Mm -hmm. or take trump off twitter right it's not that the result yeah, we're glad we don't have to listen to Trump. And yes, voting rights should be supportive, but we yeah. should turn to corporations to do our democracy work. And the precedent that that sets to take someone with so much, you know, influence out with like that, you know what I mean? No matter where they are, you know, sets a very, very scary precedent for the future. Exactly. Of, so, you know, organizers on the left who have anything to say. It sets a bad precedent and it also moves us away from where we would want to go, which is that corporations should not be involved in the political process at all. So begging them to get involved in the ways that we would want means what's going to happen later with that. 
And, you know, we also know that the right is extremely good at, at being like, okay, really? Yeah. All right. Well, then we have a bunch of resources. And now that you've set this legal precedent, let's double down on it and maximize mm-hmm. it in the name of fascism. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So all this stuff can be turned back on us. And, you know, so what they did to Trump was like supposedly to curtail his ability to, you know, organize people to do something again, like ha- what happened on January 6th. But if you look at history, there are so many way uh, more necessary, liberatory, like, movements to for direct action and civil disobedience that could be easily, like, painted the same way. And somebody who is a good leader and gets smeared in just the right ways and maybe organizes something that is a little bigger and maybe a little more intense than people are ready for, like, that person could just get cut off just the way that Trump did. And um, I don't know. I feel like I... And they will. And they do. That already happens. And and there's not really any recourse. Because right. it's their private property. We all agree to participate in on their terms. And, and so, you know, the internet needs to be... Uh, socialized and not privatized, then we definitely also need to get rid of the idea that monopolies should have this kind of power to be our platforms for, you know, public discourse. So Evan Greer, I'm going to read a few of the things that they said in terms of, you know, they, in this thread, they, you know, laid out the problem. And then there was a few um, replies in the thread that, you know, gave some really good solution-based suggestions that I want to share here so people know that there are things that we can do other than relying on these companies. So they said Congress could finally pass real data privacy legislation, making it impossible for companies like Facebook to harvest our data, use it to build behavioral profiles, and then shove content down the throats of the people most susceptible to it. And this is a really good uh, next line because this happens. Um, They say it's one thing to have a communications platform that can be used by anyone, even terrible, awful people like Nazis. It's another thing entirely to be Facebook, a surveillance platform that abuses data to say, hey, you seem like a Nazi. Want to meet some other Nazis in this group? Banning business practices like surveillance-based advertising, data harvesting, and non-transparent algorithmic manipulation of news feeds and content would do way more to address the viral spread of hateful and misleading content than any amount of begging YouTube, etc. to, quote, do better. There are some promising aspects of the House antitrust package, too, including mandating interoperability. I had to look this word up. Uh... Hold on. Where, oh, I lost it. It's, it's a word that means something with, like, computer sharing information. I'm sorry. I lost it. Uh, and to reduce the monopoly of big tech companies and make it easier to create alternative platforms with better moderation and privacy practices. But the bottom line is this. In the current environment where a handful of companies who care more about PR and protecting profits than human rights essentially get to decide who can be seen and heard, calls for more censorship without structural changes do more harm than good. Uh, One more thing. And then they say, and the stakes are incredibly high. 
Whether or not our children have a livable planet is dependent on the success of the predominantly youth-led climate justice movement, which is heavily dependent on social media as a tool for mobilizing public support for radical change. Well, that's totally fucked up and frustrating and uh, something that will probably continue to come up because this is a, a thing, as you pointed out, that these sweeps continue to happen and then also that Democrats and liberals continue to be on the wrong side of this with really bad ramifications um so it's important that we understand and we push back on them when they do this because you know especially if people are democrats who are listening you should you should let your reps know that you don't support them handing these powers over to big tech at all Elle Stanger is an ASECT certified sex educator and parent who has been published naked online since 2005 and worked as an Oregon adult entertainer and sex worker since 2009. She writes about sexual health, parenting, and politics for Huffington Post, Romper, and has been featured in Men's Health, Rolling Stone, Slate, and Reuters for her workers' rights lobbying in Oregon and about sex education. Elle works to address horophobia in conventional workplaces and offers consulting for individuals and organizations who wish to reduce harm against all people, and has taught for the Institute for Sexuality.com and Portland Street Response. Her podcast, Strange Bedfellows, was named by 2019 Portland Mercury as the best sex and politics podcast you've ever heard. And she published a collection of sex worker writing in a 2014 book, Strange Times, Tales from American Strippers. More of her work is available at lstanger.com. We are here with L. Stanger. Thank you so much for being here and talking with us today. I really appreciate you being on. Um, and let's get into it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so um, when we do interviews, we we always start off with the question, "What's agitating you right now?" And you can use kind of any any interpretation of that word. We kind of mean like, "What's got you shook?" or something that pisses you off, moves you, stirs you to do something. Like, so summer is here, and everyone's horny, and that includes me. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm. Not everyone. A lot of people are really missing having, I think, skin contact and validation mm -hmm. and socialization and excitement and tension, the good kind. Um, so <laughs> I'm I'm really interested. So I'm I'm an ASEX certified sex educator in addition to being a longtime sex worker. And I have been incredibly consistent in my scheduling and my shifts and the nights I worked, I've worked the same three nights in the strip club since my nine-year-old was born, you know, nine years ago, like Sunday, Tuesday, Friday. I do that on purpose. Um, there's so many variables when we look for patterns. And I'm always like when I drive to the club and I've done all types of work, but so much primarily a stripper. When I drive to the club, I'm looking around at the city of Portland. Like, how's the foot traffic? Like, mm -hmm. how's the car traffic? Like, are there a lot of car accidents is, you know, do people seem more distressed or fancy free? Like, do I see more skipping or skateboarding, <laughs> whatever? And uh, <laughs> and it's just a lot of people are because of the extreme heat as we record this right now in June of 2021 on the West Coast, um, historic heat, like people are more tense and more stressed and more likely to have conflict. And I was texting so my partner, my beloved partner, died five months ago um, today, five months ago. It's been 20 weeks. Mm -hmm. And I am learning and re-beginning to, like, date again and, and again, like, socialize. And, like, we were never monogamous, so I don't grapple with 
shame or guilt or confusion about like when is the right time to fuck someone else like I've fucked four people since he died <laughs> and he would be so happy for me you know he w- you don't know he would <laughs> believe me when I say he would um so like I'm trying to use sex to heal because I feel myself like feeling the fatigue of the last year and a half and then years prior and you know everything else that's going on in the world with police brutality and climate change and a lot of gender and orientation conversations and conflict and queer stuff and um, black civil rights movements. And there's, you know, trans awareness and child sex education awareness. There's so many things that our cultures are experiencing and going through right now Mm -hmm. and then throw social media into it and social isolation And so I think people are really ripe for conflict and I'm stressed about it, (laughs) basically. Yeah, it's a pressure cooker situation and you've named so many of those components. (laughs) Right. All of this to say is what is agitating me right now is like, I know that I'm pent up and I want to like scream or cry or hit something or just like be fucked in a very consensual, violent way and then like be held while I cry until my guts want to spill out. Um, Like... I know I feel these ways and yeah. I have good coping tools for stress. Like mm-hmm. I know the tapping and the meditating and mm-hmm. the yoga <laughs> and like check in with a friend and the blankies and the, like I know how to do all this shit. But I'm worried about other people who don't have these coping skills. Mm-hmm. I'm like, great. I am more likely to get stabbed at work or something. I saw so many conflicts and arguments. I saw an unhoused man run into the club. The six foot seven bouncer grabbed him by the neck in a very like legal and certified way, but grabbed him by the chest neck area, walked him out. The man shit all over his shirt and his vest. And that's just like a regular ass night in downtown, you know, like go change your shirt. I'm like, God, I got to tip the DJ more. Like, (laughs) people are running around wild. Nobody wants to pay me for lap dance last night. Everybody wants to know if they can date me. And I'm like, you guys. So I'm really interested to see now that we're reopening on a grand scale in a lot of places around the country, if there's an increase in um, unplanned pregnancies and STIs because people are going on benders and we are more susceptible to harm and injury and conflict when we're more intoxicated and more stressed. Good reminder that everybody who's out there trying to do their jobs in whatever capacity, having to field all of this are like really, really, really on the front lines. Like there was the front lines during the pandemic and then there's like post-pandemic front lines too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. The unhoused community in in Portland is really intense right now. There's like, I don't want to, I won't say the number. It's very, very high, the number that I heard. And, um, like I stepped outside just to like have a glance of the neighborhood a couple weeks ago at this club that I love working at. I love the club. It's situated in downtown Portland, but like 20 feet away, I see an EMT crew arrive and I'm like, Oh God, am I going to see a dead body be pulled out of that tent because they're resuscitating someone, you know, like it's mm, yeah. the suffering around the world yeah. is real. And we are at a very critical time where a lot of people are working very hard in whatever they specialize in, you know, environmental shit or like needle use, harm reduction, sexual assault, working really hard to make this world a better place. So I'm really happy to do what I can do for the industry that I love and care about, which is adult entertainment and sex work. Because if we can hold sex work in a higher esteem we will make safer venues that are more focused on consent and mutual pleasure and 
like who doesn't want that mm-hmm. so so that's why i'm here to talk to you all today so we're going to talk about sex Fabulous. work, awesome. I believe. So, uh, let's start with some language um, at its very basics. Um, and what is sex work? And what do you mean when you say that? So, my definition of sex work is labor that is sexually relevant and often involves real-time contact with the client. So, language is tricky and there's gray areas in everything. Some examples of this could include stripping, webcam modeling, Full-service sex work, also known as escorting. Uh, legally, it tends to be known as prostitution. Um, pornography or erotic media making, phone sex, different kinds of fetish work. Um, so like showing up and like caning your client, you know, a spanking session. It might not have to do with vaginal or like genital intercourse in a way that a lot of people might think. Uh, sugaring or sugar babying. Some people have sexual interactions with their clients. Some people don't. Uh, findom financial domination which I've never been good at I've also never been good at sugaring um, and I like to say so a lot of these will either you're either in contact with the person or you're in real time with them digitally and there's different ways that you can be at risk or safer based on what your concerns are so like digitally you could be at risk if someone is filming your content without your consent and then maybe they upload it or share it later to like a family member or a place you work. Um, Contact work obviously involves the risk of like physical harm. So there's different degrees of work and different ways that people engage. But I like to say that a sex worker is a person who engages in sexually relevant labor in exchange for money. Yes, thank you. Yeah, and a survival sex worker is a person who engages in sexual labor due to a lack of of resources or labor options. So I want to be careful with that definition because this could apply to all sex workers. Not all sex workers are doing survival sex work. Like many of us do have homes, we have shelter, we feel safe in relationships, we feel overall positive about the work we're doing. A lot of people who are survival sex workers are people who don't have as many options and resources or power in our systems. So like immigrants, people without documentation, runaways, youth, especially queer, invisibly trans youth, so non-passing people who might not get hired in a conventional workplace or they can't because they mm-hmm. don't have documentation. Um, so it's kind of like all poodles are dogs, but not all dogs are poodles, if that makes sense. That does make sense. Good. Thank you. Um, and then, yeah, to go deeper... A sex trafficking victim or survivor, depending on people how people self-identify, um, is a person who was forced by another person or entity to perform labor. The legal federal definitions of this is by force, fraud, fear, coercion, or if someone is under 18. Because according to the law, you have to be 18 to be an adult to consent to sex. There's problems with that in separate ways when you talk about In some communities, teenagers, consensual teenagers like 16, 17-year-olds trading nudes with each other have actually been charged with child pornography. Right. So there's there's problems with the law and and the law language. And again, that's why we do the work to like pick these things apart and start talking about them. Well, let's talk about um, criminalization uh, of sex work. Uh, In a lot of places, sex work is 
criminalized to different degrees, different types of sex work are criminalized to different degrees. And some places have explored different models for how to hold sex work legally. Can you talk briefly about some of the other models that exist? And then uh, we can talk about why we support full decrim. Yeah, thank you so much for asking. So I've been really fortunate to meet sex workers from around the world and hear about what their options have been and then some of the pros and cons to those options. So like, for example, currently, um, Jessica and I, we're connected with a nice lady, B. She wouldn't mind us saying her name, uh, B from New Zealand. And I'm actually going to podcast record with her down the road, I believe. Um, but yeah, but she said, you know, she likes working in a decriminalization model. Um, she has a friend who went to the police for a rape and the police supported her entirely and stated in front of, you know, everyone like you're a sex worker. You didn't deserve to be raped. It doesn't matter. So completely, you know, different world than what a lot of us can imagine. But she says the current system isn't perfect because you require it requires documentation. And so this really, really makes vulnerable the immigrants. With that being said, when you live in a place like most of America where consensual adult transactional sex or sexual interactions is illegal, you will make it harder to actually give resources and attention to the people who need help or folks that are hurt are never, ever going to report crimes against them if their work is illegal. So anytime anyone didn't pay me or penetrated me against my consent, I'm not going to, so far, thus far, not going to report it because it's not going to go anywhere, <laughs> especially if you can't identify the client. Um, so the ones, the models that are right now very problematic, and I don't use that term often, in efforts to fight sex trafficking is the Nordic model, the Swedish model, in the States, this is often known as the end demand model. And what this does is it says, well, we're so nice. We wouldn't dare arrest these poor sex working women, but we will arrest their clients instead and create a culture that shames them, treats them like perverts or abusers simply because they want to purchase. And by doing this, this by doing this, we will end demand. That's not how that works. <laughs> Um, please don't arrest our consensual clients. I, yeah. I have been kept alive by my clients for the last, I look around at this house and I'm like, my body and my brain bought this. Thank you to my clients. Um, so eliminating our clients makes it harder to find ones that are willing to consistently interact with you because they're afraid of getting busted too. If someone wants yeah. to do a date with me and I'm like, Hey, yeah, let's do a zoom or a coffee date. Can you like show me your ID? They're like, well, why are you a cop? You know, the right client will be okay yes. with it, but it makes for yes. more furtive clients because they're afraid. Why? This is such a waste of time. I recently found out that Portland, Oregon, um, Portland Police Bureau does decoy stings. So they will create fake listings f like as adult providers um, and they arrest potential, potential buyers. And in speaking with uh, Assistant Chief Jamie Resch, she said, you know, fundamentally like personally i do agree with what you're saying that we shouldn't be charging consensual adults i agree with that but in speaking with the sergeants who run um the sex crimes division and these investigations and these stings 
they are in a position where if they're called, it's somebody's bad day. Like they're dealing with people who are exploited, being hurt, being forced, you know, defrauded, coerced. They're under 18. And so in their minds, they thought this will prevent harm from happening if people can't interact. And I'm like, well, I have personal experience and lots of research to give you as to why that's ineffective, creates more problems, wastes money, and you're victimizing people. Because not only did they do the decoy stings, the people who were busted, one of them was a former uh, local politician, and uh, they called it a sex trafficking sting. Can you imagine? Like, why are we? Why do must we punish the pe- the people who are willing to pay for their porn and services? Like, that should be encouraged. You should pay for sexual labor. So, and then it, the dynamic that that creates between the sex worker and the client too. Like you were talking about at the beginning of just you know one of mistrust right from the beginning or you know yeah. wariness that mm-hmm. isn't really going to help anybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have I've had so many people over the years in the club come to me or email me, but in the club especially, they're like, I would love a blowjob or someone to touch me. Where do I go to make sure they're not being forced? And I'm like, wow, I really wish I could refer you because someone would make money and be happy to do that. However, a lot of my friends stopped providing in the last year anyway because of COVID. (laughs) But like even in some in some places, if a customer says, where can I get services or do you do extra? If you say no, but I can refer you to someone else, like that's a that's a charge right there. And mm-hmm. I don't remember what it's called. I don't know if it's pandering or facilitating. I think it's facilitating or promoting prostitution. So what a waste of time. So fucking backwards. <laughs> yeah. Plus the yeah. shame and, you know, just kind of humiliation of everybody and stigmatism is you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. something that needs to be eradicated yeah. everywhere all the time in all mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. So if yeah. you hear anybody talking about so-called partial criminalization um, or partial decriminalization, no, we need full decriminalization so that the only people that are arrestable and could be charged or <clears throat> addresses those who do harm is people who are hurting people. Right. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. So let's talk more about the like current dynamic between sex workers and clients and cops and so how how would that change um like in in this in this situation maybe where someone is responding to something on craigslist or something um what could that look like in a post-decrim world oh gosh i wish craigslist personal still existed that was shut down by uh anti anti porn people too and they called it anti-trafficking um everybody go look up why was fosta sesta bad Uh, Real quick, FOSTA-SESTA were a couple of bills that um, anti-porn Republicans um, like Ann Wagner out of Ohio, I believe, and then Rob Portman. He said that um, he said that most trafficking came from Backpage. That wasn't true. They shut down Backpage. Um, Craigslist pulled. Yeah, Craigslist pulled their personals ads because a lot of folks use it to interact consensually for random hookups or sex work or queer trans people who said it was a safer way to screen or kinky people. Um, If there's anybody doing anything illegal, like actual trafficking and using that to communicate, then that website would for the first time be held liable after after FOSTA and SESTA passed. So FOSTA and SESTA rewrote how the internet functions for the first time ever since 1996 when they made these rules, the Communications Decency Act, um, for the first time ever, 
Now websites are liable for what third-party users publish in the context of prostitution and trafficking. So this means if someone's using Facebook to do sex work, Facebook looking at it, they don't know if this person person is engaging consensually or not. They know that it could be trafficking. They're not going to take that chance. They'll just kick the person off the internet. So this is why people on Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr deleted all their boobies and nudity because same thing. They didn't want to be held oh, liable. Yeah. Nipplegate. Yep. If anybody was using their platform to, to engage in prostitution or trafficking, they would be held liable. So if they're a sex worker or an adult entertainer that's not a celebrity, then they just get kicked off. So... Kind of confusing bill. It silenced and deleted a lot of consensual adult workers. So um, the relationship that you asked about, first of all, there's so many people, and you might know this, um, there's so many people who've experienced police brutality or abuse or mistreatment that they would never report to cops like ACAB all day. And that's totally respectable, and I hear that. Not everybody feels that way. And I have talked to other sex workers who are like, yeah, I would have loved to call 911. Like I wanted to press charges, but my work was illegal. And then you have the New Zealand example where the sex worker was very pleased and shared it with everyone that the cops treated her excellent. And she absolutely would would do it again. You know, if this if she was raped again, like heavens forbid, she would feel supported in going to the local law enforcement about that. Um. So there's lots of shades, but I can tell you that two years ago, Portland, Multnomah County passed a bill, Oregon, I'm sorry, I believe it was, I don't remember the bill number, but it was a Senate bill they passed. It was a safe harbor bill. So if you are someone who is working in sex work and you report a crime against you for the first time ever, and this was as of two years ago, you are not arrestable. That's great. That's great news. But you know what? Unless you follow legislative news or read the news every day and read all of it, like most people don't know that. Most sex workers in Oregon have yeah. no idea. So not only do we need to pass better legislation, but there has to be like public service, like PSAs. Like know your rights. Like, yeah. Know your rights. Yeah. Let's cut back on sexual assault and chronic abuse and things like people targeting sex workers for violence. Um, it also seems like that would be, I mean... The education would go a long way so people at least just know and then can decide. But I, I wonder if a lot of cops would, you know, find some other excuse or something like that or opportunity to get back at people later. Who knows, you know? Right. There's predatory people in so many walks of life. It's terrifying. Like uh, doctors, therapists. You know, some people who want to have a lot of power don't like helping people. They just like having a lot of power and control over other people's lives. Yeah. And some mm -hmm. of us see that when we've been abused by people in positions of power in academia, you know, mm -hmm. or healthcare. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, this has come mm -hmm. up a bunch of times. Uh, sex work being conflated with human trafficking. So and, and you defined at the beginning kind of the difference between human trafficking versus sex work or sex work that's being done, you know, because, by people who have no choice in the matter, who are being forced to do it. It just seems like there's a lot to talk about there in terms of like consent and labor rights, which we haven't really said explicitly yet, um, talking about how, you know, but you had said something about like my body and my mind paid for my house. And it's like, yeah, me too. <laughs> Even though mm -hmm. I don't do sex work, I mean, that's true of mm -hmm. all of us. To the extent mm -hmm. that we have money, it's because our bodies and our minds, um, unless we inherited it, 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if we earn the money, that's how we got it in this mm-hmm. system. Um, so just, you know, but going back to human trafficking, being conflated with sex work and, and what, you know, I think a lot of people, there might be people out there who are listening, who are sort of like, want to be open to what you're saying, kind of definitely sympathize with sex workers. But at the same time, there's this like, but this other thing is the most horrible thing. And those two mm-hmm. things always go together. And how does, how, how do we peel that out? And so, and how does decriminalization play into like making this all more um, equitable? So I could talk all day and give examples, but there's two books I want to just name so people can have the facts themselves and go over it and take their time and refer to it. Um, I just interviewed a wonderful clinician from the UK. So the book is called Compulsive Sexual Behaviors, A Psychosexual Treatment Guide for Clinicians. You do not need to be a cl- clinician to own it. But it's 180 pages that talks about compulsive sexual behaviors with a sex positive lens that includes recent and reliable research that says, did you know places where porn exists has lower sexual assault rates? Um, Porn does not cause violence, actually. Um, People who have misogynistic tendencies or transphobic tendencies when they see violent material featuring that, it does excite them. But people who do not feel violence or harm against women, or again, I'm using trans or people of color, if they see violent pornography or material, it is distressing to them. They turn it off. They look away. So looking at porn does not make you violent, actually. And there is... Right. Yeah. yeah there's um, also... Places where sex work is decriminalized have lower incidences of human trafficking because there's more opportunity for the sex workers to be able to communicate if harm is being done to them. But when they're pushed underground, they can't. Uh, The second book is Sex, Lies, and Statistics by Dr. Brooke Magnanti. She was an escort for a long time. She wrote about it. She is also a researcher. So she has a PhD in forensic pathology Um, She studied in anthropology and mathematics. She has worked in forensic science, epidemiology, chemoinformatics, and cancer research. She knows how to compile statistics. So this whole book breaks down the false narratives that conservative and mainstream media outlets and um, thought leaders perpetuate and where they come from. Um, The opportunity for exploitation and harm is so much greater when you have a black market. And so the example I like to use, because in the context of crime, and let's just look at the U.S. as an example. So 100 years ago, prohibition of alcohol happened and it was suddenly illegal to make, sell, I believe, consume alcohol, but at least make and sell So what this did was it shuttered all of the venues where this was a business, put all those people out of work, suddenly made their jobs illegal. They had these skill sets, but suddenly it comes to a grinding halt. Did people stop drinking alcohol? No. It created a huge black market, which the mob took over and then worked with the police. So... It's if you that's think a great of, example. And what did we do in response to that? Backtracked and went, oh, shit, that didn't make any sense at all. Oh, shit, that didn't work. <laughs> right. So, you know, when we talk about what people do consensually with their bodies for fun or stress relief or bonding or, you know, even self-harm, because let's be honest, like 
drinking is self-harm like it really it is be, yeah, yeah it, it <laughs> and really it is can poison be. no matter what <laughs> it is poison I say this with love as someone who has a lot of alcoholism in my family I had two shots of tequila last night I was dry for two and a half years and then my partner died so I'm like oh let's fuck let's play with fire so I'm like alcohol in any amount is not good for you doctors say that they know that I'm sorry um but it's a huge industry sex creates chemicals that your brain produces itself it cannot overdose on and you cannot become addicted to the chemicals your brain produces. People will become addicted to their habits that they lean on to avoid stress or trauma. So people who numb out by maybe the only thing in their life that brings them a bit of calm and distraction is watching porn. So that's fine if you can do that in a container that doesn't impact the rest of your life. So if I watch porn for 10 minutes, I have an orgasm or I feel better or whatever and then I move on with my day that's not a problem if I'm ignoring my family and my work and my exercise and my dog because I'm I'm just trying to find that happy place that is when someone would consider themselves like a masturbation addict it's not about the masturbation sex is not inherently harmful self-touch is not inherently harmful they're very natural and good for you when done healthfully but when people are avoidant or they use them in unhealthy contexts, that's where the problems come in. And especially if you add shame to that because folks don't understand what's happening. So I really encourage people to try to reframe. And it's so tough to do this without guidance. But the, the things you've been taught that make you feel bad about yourself that are actually quite normal. Wanting to have sex or look at bodies is so normal. Can we just like stay Maybe on that for a moment and like all really like, you know, soak in that worth because that is so true. And I wish somebody told tells my son that really, really, you know, early on, you know, not just from mama, you know, let's make society really, really, really able to say that out loud. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Teaching kids yeah. consent is like a whole other episode we could do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm learning Catholic school. <laughs> yeah, I hear from clients like I, I wasn't raised with sexual like with religiosity in my home, but it is very interesting as an atheist or agnostic or God. I don't know what I am. I'm spiritual with nature. I feel the energy and everything that is alive. We'll just say that. Um, but in terms of like Bible shit, I don't carry any of that with me. And it's so fascinating and interesting when my clients and my friends and some of my partners all my partners have religious trauma, actually. I just realized that. I was like, what is my kink? Like, am I trying to fix everybody? Oh, my God. Thumbs up. So it's noticeable. It's de Religiosity, researchers will tell you, plays very heavily into shame. It increases the likelihood that you will feel shame if you've been taught that you are only supposed to be sexual with the person that you're married, hetero, and perhaps only for making babies, which some people in this country still believe that. Okay, so sex is not bad for you. Religion, probably. Sure. Yes. Sure can be. Sure <laughs> can be. Legal contracts that define us. our relationships Jesus. also, meh. Yeah, those are lackluster as well. Um, okay, so I want to shift um, to talk about what's happening in Oregon right now because it's super historic and very exciting. Um, will you talk about what's happening there and how people can support it or plug in? Yes, thank you. So in early January, I believe it was early January, a House bill was created, HB 3088, 
The sponsor is Representative Rob Nose. He apparently is one of our first openly gay elected um, representatives in Salem. Uh, he's very big on workers' rights. I never met the guy, but I heard about this bill, so I emailed him from my nice fancy email, not my throwaway email, <laughs> but like, hey, I'm in the sex You put on your community. nice email clothes. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Hope this finds you well, Rob. No. Um, I have a shirt on, but I don't have pants on right now. Um, That's who also does? professional. Yeah. So I emailed Repnos and said, hey, I want to connect with you. I have sex workers and friends I know want to get in on this. And, you know, like, please let us lead because I don't know who's driving these things because it is so common for legislators to create bills based on, I don't know, public pressure or an idea they had or one specific interaction <laughs> they had with a family where they're like, I need to create a bill about this thing. They do not check in with the populations mm -hmm. that will be impacted um so like an example i like to give is two years ago a senator i won't name her because she's probably pissed i've been naming her for years um she sponsored a bill that would make all live entertainers in oregon into employees besides the fact that this would muddle and fuck up so many live entertainers taxes and how they get booked like jugglers fire dancers comics singers she was thinking of, and I know this because I sat down with her, she said, well, we can fight trafficking and exploitation if we make it more secure for um, strippers and to be documented. And her idea for this was she had spoken with a rural eastern or southern Oregon family. It's all kind of very like similar once you get out of the city. It's, it's desert and it's poor and it's conservative. And so she spoke with this family who... Um, or she had interacted with this family who uncles or dads or somebody was forcing the teenage girls to like work sex or dance in the family bar. So, like coercion was happening to minors. And so she said, you know, what would I tell this family who experienced this abuse? And I said, well, you would tell them that this bill you're creating wouldn't do anything for them because they were minors. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't have been hireable <laughs> anyway. Mm hmm. The yeah. fuck? You don't see me flailing around over here, but I'm like sitting in an office with this broad. I got fucking printout receipts from strippers around the country, mostly California, because they they did this. A bunch of strip clubs forced their strippers to become employees a couple years ago. And I was curious. I was like, hey, how was this for you folks? Because if it's great, then tell me. And they were like, oh, my God, they're stealing our money. They fired the bottom 30 or 40 of the less popular girls anyway. And so they kept the main ones like the top tier because they're not going to pay all these girls. They're just not. If a venue's never been paying dancers, they're not going to start doing it. Because where's the money going to come from? Their own pockets. They don't want it. So they take yeah. your tips and they cut them in half and they keep a portion. And I'm sitting here with all these printout receipts. Like, fucking Christ, lady. You could have asked actual strippers and live entertainers in Oregon, like, what? But you guys are just victims that need to be coddled. <laughs> yeah, so fast saved. forward. <laughs> fast forward. Yeah, so this... She's still around, by the way, and I should probably speak more nicely of her because I'm going to have to sit in a meeting with her again at some point, I hope, if she'll have me. Um, <laughs> so what's happening with HB 3088, it got no support. It got almost no support um, in the committee where it was sponsored. Um, and the 
reasoning around that is because the chair, Representative Bynum, uh, she is a black Democrat woman. She is friends with this other senator that I mentioned, and they have a very in-demand approach to sex work. And when they sat in a hearing, our legislative hearing, that we were given after we held our own press conference and got a ton of media about the committee we're building, after it came out in the news, yeah, that's when they uh, gave us five days to throw together a list of witnesses to testify by 5 p.m. that day. So we had to find sex workers, um, a researcher, there was a doctor, and there was an anti-trafficking um, nonprofit organization executive director. We all spoke on why decrim. And we gave her research. We gave, well, her. It was a committee of... Mm-hmm these people but we're I'm I'm looking at the screen on at uh, representative Bynum's face and sh- the research is coming like the numbers are coming did you know that if you decriminalize like violence goes down STIs go down you can save taxpayers money better like allocation of police and corrections resources and her face was just trying not to react and I'm thinking this isn't the stuff she wants to hear because there are people who think sex work is yucky and scary to them and we should not put women in that position. So let's make it harder mm-hmm. for them to be in that position, I guess. And this is just what we're up against. So where we're at with with HB 3088 is Dunsies for now. We got a hearing. We got some media about it. We got to state our research. That's great. I do not personally anticipate a whole lot of support in the legislation, but I could be wrong because if public opinion and facts sways them then that would be wonderful um the session is over so the bill is done what we in our committee are hoping for honestly i think at this point it's whatever makes the most sense and seems most likely to pass so if that means a ballot measure where oregonians can vote for it themselves that's great if it's a committee who suddenly decides that they want to support us and hear us and move this along that would be fantastic also But right now what we're doing is holding a Human Rights Commission event. It'll be July 15th in Portland. We're going to have press, uh, all kinds of media, sex workers, anti-trafficking experts, researchers, uh, disability advocates, immigrant rights and labor activists and representatives. We're all going to testify on why decriminalization. And we're compiling a huge printed report of testimony and research that will be available to the public. Um, without outing anybody, everyone who's giving testimony is understanding um, they are able to go public or they can remain anonymous. So we're just really trying to force the hand with public pressure. Like the information is here. I'm sorry if you are a fundamentalist who thinks that people shouldn't be able to go pay for sexual touch. But if you feel that way, your beliefs in the current systems are hurting people. So get over your own ego if you feel that way. And let's try to reduce harm. So that's where we're at. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, So, yeah. So in the show notes, we'll put all of the like links to the website for that campaign. And that would be um, so cool. All like links to the other stuff, the books that you mentioned and anything else you want to go. Oh, that's so great. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. And also, um, if you're like, yeah, this is great. Uh, you know, and want to support it in another way, you can also donate to this campaign because it's entirely sex worker run and it is fueled by just folks. Obviously, there's not a whole lot of big money support for stuff like this pouring in. So uh, that's one way that you can help out. Also, And your donation, if you're an Oregonian, um, I believe it qualifies. I know you qualify for up to $100 deductible. 
tax deductible, like 100%. Hmm. So if you give to it, you can write nice. it off. Yeah. Yeah. Get yeah. And the that. website is OregonSexWorkers.com. And if you don't live in Oregon, it would make sense to support this too, because, you know, it can be an example. And what mm-hmm. we need is, you know, places to break through and pass legislation that can show positive effects and make mm-hmm. the case for decriminalization, you know, in, oh, in this... places that are behind right now. Yeah, this would be historic if we could be the first state to do this because Rhode Island accidentally decriminalized prostitution laws uh, a couple decades ago. And interestingly enough, their rates of STIs, a uh, couple types went down and their reported sexual assaults went down. And then it was like a decade or so when legislators realized what they'd done. And so they recriminalized it. Yeah, it was like a, a legal loophole in the language. And um, well, that was a funny little story. Let's see. I don't know. Let's see if we can do that again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so an Oregon is such a it seems like such a good place to start with this because, you know, you guys have been kind of on the forefront of decrim in other ways, too. Right. Weren't you early in the decriminalizing recreational cannabis? Mm-hmm. And um, isn't there like psilocybin? A, yeah, they just yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Decriminalized psilocybin for, I believe, medicinal. But I think they decriminalized all drugs. Ooh, I should know this. I was going to look it up real quick, too, because I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. Um, Drug decriminalization in Oregon officially begins today. That was February 1st. Small. Okay, so today Oregon became the first state in the U.S. to decriminalize possession of small amounts of all drugs and greatly increase access to treatment, recovery, harm reduction and other services. It was a ballot initiative. Yeah, ballot initiative. Cool. So like it seems like the public is kind of primed for a decrim model. And, you know, like just in general, if you can if you can get a ballot initiative, that's so great because it gives you an opportunity to talk with voters and do public education, and all of that. Obviously, whatever can be done is the best solution because that affects people immediately. Mm-hmm. But um, it's so cool that Oregon is doing this and it's really could set a Yeah, and, and really on the road to like more bodily autonomy, you know? This seems like right in the right right it fits mm-hmm. i'll give you some other examples yeah. of how this would help um if you go to a sex therapist or if someone goes to a therapist and let's say that due to your anxiety depression loneliness whatever whatever's going on for you or even if you're partnered let's just say that your therapist says you know i think you would benefit from seeing a sex worker um they can't refer you like they legally cannot refer you um if you are someone who could offer pelvic floor therapy to postpartum parents, um, you can do that. That service exists. But what if you need pelvic floor therapy because of gender dysphoria? Um, what yeah. if you need like a prostate healer, touch healer? And I know someone who does this, um, but who's going to recommend you? Like if your doctor's like, wow, you could really benefit from some positive safe touch or some prostate massage. I mean, they can't refer you to a sex worker, even if they know a really, really good one. Um, If you're a disabled person and you're living in a facility and you're like, hey, I have never experienced this type of pleasure before. I would really like to. um, They're not going to allow you to pay a sex worker. And for some people who don't find sex and touch and dating organically, 
transactionally is going to be all they have. So like, why would you take that away from them? I remember I was laying in bed with a dude I just had sex with and not for money. He was like a friend that we just hooked up and we had a great time. And he said something so deep. And this was when I was new to stripping, but I hadn't done escorting or in a lot of other types of sex work yet. And he said something like, he's like, I'm so lucky I get to have sex with beautiful women from time to time. I think sometimes if I was ugly or like smelly and I could never experience that and how sad I would be. And I'm like, well, you could pay for it. And he's like, oh, yeah, true. And then we're like, well, kind of hard to like pay for it if you don't know where to go. Yeah, yeah. And if you might get yeah. busted. Right. It's a huge deterrent. <laughs> Two giant yeah. deterrents right there. Where do you go? And am I going to? pay for this in some way that isn't worth mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. yeah and just the stigma of doing the google search you know what i mean there's so many mm -hmm. obstacles mm -hmm. i know i wish i could name like escort sites but have people email me and i will i don't get a cut from this by the way and i probably could get in trouble but i don't know probably not Okay, great. We'll put your email in the show notes. Yeah. Email me lstanger at protonmail.com. You can ask where to find my porn because I kind of keep that on the quiet also because I um, I am certified by ASECT and I didn't know if they would be comfortable with a sex worker um, being certified and apparently they are, but it's still a gray area for a lot of people. So I have to keep my clients and my interactions very separate because we're really a lot of us are kind of forging new territory. Being open about this is the new territory because sex work and healing and like education has existed in communities and I think was a big part of communities before Christianity stomped that out of people 2000 years ago. I have a couple elders in my life who are sexually, I would say they have like, they hold sacred sexuality in their hearts. They know how to apply it to people. They know how to apply healing touch um, that may or may not be sexual. They know how to hold space for it. Um, they recognize the power of their touch and of their intentional like sexual energy. And I've been so happy to learn from those people. I'm like, ah, getting choked up right now. And I truly believe like humans, as we evolved over time, we lived in these little communal spaces. Like, of course, we all learned things from each other and witnessed things from each other. And when I read in um, a trauma book, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. Classic. Yeah. When I read that, the fundamental ways that people calm down is by being patted and rocked and held. Oh, I cried, you know? Yeah. 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 Because after, mm, yeah, see, I'm choking up right now. After my partner died, I didn't have that anymore. And it was a huge anchor for me. And all I could think about was, God damn, I'm actually kind of excited to work in the clubs again because like, yeah, knowing shit's going to happen and some people are going to paw at me or lick me and it's not going to be consensual and it's not going to be paid for. But um, I will find good clients and they're going to want to give me back rubs and have me grind on them and play with their hair. And like, fuck, I miss that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm very lucky that I get to <clears throat> get my rocks off. <laughs> and I cry <laughs> a lot when I talk. So this is fine i shake this right us off. too we're a very weepy bunch <laughs> thank you thank you for yeah thanks for breaking the seal yeah you got to process the shit out so you don't hold on to it yeah. well and uh, i mean you've said this several different times but you know after the last year of the pandemic and the isolation but even before the pandemic there was so much there's so much more isolation in the society that we have now than we have 
um, had, you know, than humans are supposed to have with being like glued into our computers and stuff. And um, I'm sure that it's very hurtful for us Mm -hmm. not to be having touch. Mm -hmm. A lot of us. Yeah. That was something the researcher, uh, yeah, the researcher who wrote the uh, Compulsive Sexual Behaviors book, his name is Silva Neves, by the way. Um, He said something. He said, some people are totally fine and happy being mostly alone. And, uh, you know, those are people that actually are going to lean more heavily into like digisexuality. So interacting with like, a bot cam person or like a, t- a sexting app or something like that because he's like small percentage of the population just doesn't really want to be around people but then there's the rest of us <laughs> yeah. so I only throw that yeah. in there because if you're hearing this and you're like well no I've been fine this last you know this was nice yeah no, I've heard that from that. like two clients yeah you're normal <laughs> well, I thought that in too. a bunch of ways I mean I wasn't all alone but yeah yeah for sure there's uh... I felt all alone <laughs> I'm not one of those people that needs to be alone and wants to interact with the sex bot no (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah I need both of those things definitely yeah (laughs) well and that's also part of why it's so important that 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 all of this be allowed to be explored in a consensual and safe way so that people can Mm -hmm. figure out what they need and and maybe why and maybe that shifts over time too maybe there's there's something that needs to be worked through and then it is and then other things can come in and it's just like with all the shame and hiding none of that is possible instead Mm -hmm. there's just you know icky shit that Mm -hmm. gets associated with all of it your sexuality is fluid your orientation can be fluid your identity can be fluid the type of food you like to eat can be fluid like stuff can change and it often really does and something else that mr neves brought up is in our conversation is a lot of us are raised to view sex to fit into a type of box that has to look a certain way, happen at certain times for certain reasons. And he said the the thing with that is a lot of people's preferences do not fall in these boxes. And so they feel like there's something wrong with them and there's not. And so that's why we have to be inclusive when we're thinking about sex therapy of people who are kinky and poly and asexual and sex workers because they are a big part of the sexually active populations you know partnered or not so and and also something another sex educator told me years ago he said what if I told you the things you've been told not to like could be the things that turn you on the most and that is true for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. I've, so I've I've figured that one out myself. <laughs> <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Everyone's thinking of their stuff right now. Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah. take them home, all the listeners. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for saying that. That's so important. And I think like being expansive in the way that we consider what is sex is is <sighs> such a such a deep propaganda to move through right mm-hmm. like even if you even if you came out of like some progressive sex positive house like it's still just like p and v like you, pound town you know what i mean like yep. it's just so hard to move away from that mm-hmm. uh, heteronormativity which is so not just icky and exclusive and gross but like dangerous right because if you're if like for so many reasons one is health right if you don't know that what you're doing is sex because sex is just one thing to you, 
that's going to cause major problems. Yeah. I, one of my hookups recently, um, it was so funny because I was, un, mm, I was kind of prepared. I cleaned the house beforehand. I was, I was like, please, <laughs> mommy needs it. Mommy needs some action tonight. So, so this nice man came over and, um, it was the first time we would have engaged sexually and I knew that. So I took control and led in a very nice way that I don't usually have the energy for. But I was like priming him to trust me and to be relaxed and to be in a space that I needed him to be to arrive for the sex I wanted to have. So what this meant is I said, may I give you a back rub? I kind of want to feel your energy. And he's like, okay. So I gave him a really slow, intentional back rub and he was all buzzy and stuff like that and I'm like okay now may I have one he's like fuck yeah he wants to touch this hell yeah like I just made him feel good and I'm, he thinks I'm hot I can tell he's in my bedroom so um and I'm not paying him so so he he starts giving me a back rub and that's when I start arching my butt against him like initiating okay like more is gonna happen so we started fooling around and um, something that happens with a lot of my male clients, and if he's listening, I kind of doubt he is, but um, they have a really difficult time maintaining an erection. And I am very used to this because number one, it's typical for a lot of first time hookups. People are nervous. Number two, a lot of people drink a lot of alcohol. And sorry, again, you're not going to want to hear this, but it fucks with your circulation and your ability to regulate some things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then throw in like cocaine and other stuff that doesn't help either. Um Heavy red meat diets also do not help. Anything that's good for your heart is good for your boner. Um, so, but I'm so anyway. I'm used to dealing with inconsistent erections in my male partners, and I was totally fine with it. And because I could direct him to do other things, he was fine with it. And we did all these great, awesome things sexually and in a safer way. And then at the end of it, like I hugged him and I was like, "Did we just have sex?" And he's like, oh, we totally had sex. And I was like, yes, like, good boy. <laughs> somebody, Green flag. Somebody raised you right. But I felt so all of this, I guess, is to say that I knew what kind of container I wanted to set. Um, and I have the sexual communication skills and practice to to try to to apply that. And I felt so good after he left. Like, are we dating? No. Are we in love? No. Like, will we do it again? Yeah, probably. I felt so capable and happy and alive. And I looked at my photo of my dead boyfriend and I was like, I needed that. (laughs) Hi, babe. Love you. So sex, again, here I go crying. Sex can be very, very, very healing. And also... This strokes my ego, but when we were doing stuff, at one point he was like, who are you? (laughs) I'm thinking someone you're never, ever going to (laughs) forget. All this is very validating. So when people are like, oh, she's a slut. Like, I've been called a slut since, I mean, what what female hasn't since they were like 12 years old, you know, for any infraction. Been called a slut so many times. But like, I'm a fucking slut who like, I get shit done (laughs) like this mind and this body paid for this house. But also like I build relationships around sex and I prioritize healthy, safer sex and it makes me feel good and I'm safe. And I want people to be able to have that kind of framework to do that for themselves because we're so shamed into thinking that sex is like the dirty thing or the naughty thing. You can use those terms if you want. 
I, I, I do not. Like, I have a different lens. I want to think like a sacred whore. <laughs> Sounds like you're kicking you ass are. at it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I don't have many vices, but I have lots of <laughs> orgasms. That's not a vice. That's like being like, water is my vice. <laughs> I know, right? I need this to live. I do need this to live. Well, so good. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, this has been fun. Um, I love this podcast called scam goddess and she always asks her guests where do you want to be found and so mm-hmm. i think that's a good way to ask you that is a great way thank you i want to be found on twitter at l stanger just my name uh instagram let's see if i'm still there by the time you look this up if they haven't kicked me off <laughs> at stripper writer or at l underscore stanger my website is stripperwriter.com or l stanger.com lots of options and we'll Find put those there. all on the show notes. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So is there anything else that you want to add or talk about before hmm. we wrap up? I, I hope this episode helped give permission to some people who needed to let go of some things. Mm. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Of either some confusion or some shame or some guilt, like... Because, oh, my God, what an awkward child and teenager I was and adult I still am. And if I can make sex like less awkward, if I can make sex less awkward for other people, like, what a way to heal, <laughs> you know? Yes. Mm-hmm. I feel that deeply. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I'm turning Thank bright so pink much. over here, just crying. It's so hot. <laughs> it's it's like warm in this room. Oh, I actually, to end on a happier high note, I did have, um, this is kind of a funny story. So again, people are into all things. This is one that kind of confused me a little. This was when Brian was living and I was like, hey, babe, I just got a custom order. This guy just wants like a three minute video clip of me crying. And he was like, I don't like that. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of understandable. I'm like, but I don't know what he's going to do with it. Like, I don't know. Like, he's like, no, he's going to jerk off to it. And I'm like, well, pro- maybe, but I don't know. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. I was like, the money's good. And like, I could use a cry and like my makeup's on. So like, I'm a film this bitch. He's like, I don't really. Brian used to help me film and edit. And he was like, I don't really want to help you with this. It kind of makes me uncomfortable. And he had like a background of um, not be okay with like women being abused and crying and shit. So I totally understand where he was coming from. And uh, I also could have been totally fine for me to be like, no, I don't want to make that video. But I was like, no, I want to make this video. So because again, I'm a crier and I like money. So so I so I filmed the thing and send it and uh the client emails me back. He's like, thank you so much. I came immediately. <laughs> I was like, hey, Brian. Brian, oh, Brian, you were right. <laughs> it worked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I used to spank myself with a crucifix on stage during one of my themed sets at one of the clubs. I did like a whole churchy thing. I'm just like, someone's going to throw a glass at me one of these days. <laughs> like, going to really upset the so wrong good. person. Oh, thank you. It's a fantastic story. Um, this was fun. Thank you so much for being here and yeah. being like here on a hard day too. And just, we love you for it. I'm going to be you. so yeah. raw with all of you. Thank you, Caitlin, Millie, Shelley, Jessica. Thank you so much. You're the best. Thank you. All right. Take care. You Bye, y'all. Bye. 
Hey, it's Shelly with another Twitter Roundup, where we take a moment to break down some of that juicy nuance and discourse that can only be found on the timeline. Today, we're going to be talking about the milkshake ducking of Shikari Richardson. If you haven't heard the term milkshake duck before, it's a phenomenon when the internet comes to love someone or some character and then learns something shitty about them. It's based off of a 2016 tweet which reads, The whole internet loves milkshake duck, a lovely duck that drinks milkshakes. Five seconds later, we regret to inform you the duck is racist. Now, it's true that Shikari Richardson herself is a black woman and became a headline across the world in large part because of the systemic bias rooted in the racist war on drugs that resulted in her being banned from competing in the Olympics. While swimmer Michael Phelps, who, as many people pointed out, was widely known to also use cannabis and never suffered any consequences in his career as a beloved white male Olympian. Soon after the news broke that Richardson tested positive for THC after crushing the 100-meter, a disqualifier for competing in the Tokyo Olympics later this summer, there was a huge outpouring of support from every corner of the internet, including countless celebrities. And as you can imagine, a backlash of ugly misogynoir from the usual suspects. But after a few days, a new thing emerged. Screenshots of Shikari saying some really questionable things. One tweet condemning people for supporting gay pop star Lil Nas X. Another saying if a man wears pink, he should, quote, die in a pit because you're gay as fuck. And then finally, a tweet in support of Rihanna's abuser, Chris Brown, who Shikari said, made a mistake years ago and none of us are perfect. Quote, tweeting another woman calling Brown out, saying, women like you are so annoying. Side note, Brown has since made headlines for physically assaulting his current girlfriend. Now, what makes this even messier is that Shikari is openly bisexual and currently in a committed relationship with a woman. But we know internalized homophobia and misogyny run deep, deep, deep in our culture. So anyway, you could just feel the rush of disappointment across the internet. Many tweets saying, This is why we can't have nice things, and every period, time, period, and some going so far as to say they wouldn't support her anymore. People had formed an emotional attachment not only to Shikari, who is pretty adorable and obviously extremely talented and deserving, especially considering she won in spite of getting stoned, but also to the story, which was another example of the Olympics being, well, shitty, on top of their routine displacements of large swaths of working class and poor people and other human rights violations all over the world. And this is what makes this particular milkshake ducking so fascinating and worth picking apart. Once that happened, tons of people just seemed to not know what to say anymore, and the story fizzled out. But are we really going to look away so quickly from the deeply embedded institutional racism, classism, and misogyny of the Olympics because one of their victims' individual bigotry? Shikari is young and has endless capacity to learn and grow. The Olympics are old and crusty with hundreds of years of white supremacy and cis-heteropatriarchy baked in. In cases like these, we need to learn how to hold individuals accountable for their transgressions while maintaining our focus on the systems and institutions that are causing the real harms. And that does it for this Twitter roundup. Love you, and thanks for listening. Okay, so now we're going to do the beloved Am I the Asshole segment, which we all really like doing, and I think a lot of you like it too. So, Shelly... 
give it to us. Lay it on. <laughs> All right. So I feel like this one is a, you know, segs pretty well from Caitlin's uh, agitation. Um, so just keeping in that vein, this one is, is interesting. Um, and I think this one is real. The other one I was thinking of, I'm not sure it's real, but we'll save it for a future one because it's also interesting. So am I the asshole? for stealing all of the neighbor's birds. I moved into a neighborhood after living in an apartment for eight years. Back when I lived with my parents, I loved having bird feeders. So when I got my house, I set up 12 bird feeders and planted wildflowers that attract hummingbirds and butterflies. And then there is an inventory of everything they did. So one, a squirrel-friendly feeder with sunflower seeds. Two, a shell on... A shell on peanut feeder. Oh, shell on peanut feeder. Three, a nut feeder. Four, a, t- <laughs> a traditional feeder. With I'm reading these not because it's important, but because I appreciate the painstaking. Can you say nut feeder again? <laughs> we got that. <laughs> Four, a tra- which is not a problem. Just but as an aside, the other day I was like, you know what? I think that it would be really great to embrace being eccentric, and uh, that's a go- that's a life goal at this point for me. So carry on with the eccentric person's list. Well, and this is how you know it's real, too, because nobody making up a story would go to these lists. For a traditional feeder with local seed mix. Five, a fruit hook with various fruits. Six, a small glass mealworm feeder. Seven, a suet block feeder. Does anyone know? Suet. Suet? Yeah. What is that? Suet? Suet block? I don't know what a suet block is. It's like a fat block. Mm -hmm. With like seeds mushed into it. And you put it in a cage and they like pick it. Oh, oh, I know and what you're get, talking about. Then they get fat too. I never knew that word. And I grew up with like a bird mom. I feel like I should know that. Anyway, eight, a water bowl. Nine, a mesh feeder with dried mealworms. Ten, a bark butter feeder. Eleven, a tray feeder with more local feed. And finally, twelve, a bark butter bit feeder. <laughs> so basically... Go big or go home on the bird feeding. But like just I like love restocking it. would be like a full time job. Yeah, no, like I have one expensive. bird feeder and they like go at it and it you know yeah. you fill it and two days later it's empty. So like this lady is just like it's going to yeah. the store and refilling her bird feeder. She doesn't even have time to look at the birds. <laughs> This, of course, slowly attracted birds to my yard. I wake up every morning to a lot of bird song, and there are always birds flying around and chirping. I honestly expected my neighbors to complain about the noise, if anything. Instead, other people in my neighborhood have knocked on my door complaining about me being a cuss word and stealing the birds. I thought it was one I thought it was one crazy lady until a whole group of older women came and banged on my door complaining saying I needed to take them down and stop stealing everyone's birds. Am I the asshole? <laughs> what? <laughs> I was not really expecting that. I okay. need to hear about these other ladies' get-ups and see if they're good enough to get any birds. Yeah. Yeah, get a you suet block. You them some, like, generic Karen. mix. Hell no, those birds ain't coming back. <laughs> Over time, it seems like there would just become more birds, and then the other people would have birds, too. You know? Like, she can't. Yeah. As long as she's keeping this thing going, it's like a commitment. You can't just, you know, do something like this, attract all the birds, and then bail someday. It doesn't right. sound like she would. No, she I feel sounds like she's committed. not the asshole. 
I don't think she's the asshole here. I think so. My wife really likes backyard birding. She has worked at a backyard birding store. She really loves birds. So I I got this like elaborate bird feeding station, right? And it's got multiple different things for different kinds of birds and ones so that the pigeons won't. It's a whole thing. There's a lot of bird drama in my yard. It's a huge (laughs) part of my life. So imagine if somebody just stole all your birds. Because they kicked ass and next right level because they the made a better offering. setup. Okay, so That's I'm really trying to think. If my neighbor, if my neighbor had like a really fucking sweet bird setup, you would probably I would be like that. that is dope. No, no, I would be like that's <laughs> dope. No, I'm not trying to compete with my neighbor for the birds. Yeah, but no like, birds and it is no, no more birds for your wife. No more birds for your wife. Yeah. How would you buy your feeder? Feel? No birds on the feeder. They're all sucking on the feeder I am next 100. door percent devil's advocating right now because i don't think she's the asshole either but actually think about it yeah suddenly one day you wake up and the birds are just not that into you anymore okay all right right i don't know i think the other ladies just need to do better i think that they you know the lady with all the birds and the great setup could share some tips on her you know elaborate bird yeah there's or she could put one like in the front yard like put it i don't know her setup but she could have some in the front yard like put them around so people can see i just i think my i would be sad and i'd be like oh bummer i miss my like not my birds right again i miss the birds but i would also be like i'm not gonna knock on my neighbor's door and call her a bitch because the birds (laughs) like hers what was the curse word actually i'd love to know you what, was it given the actual curse word? No, she no. Was... She put cuss word in quotation marks. Yeah, I mean, that <laughs> seems no extreme. What, just knocking on the door at all. Like, if you're going to knock on the door, yeah. be like, hey, I'm bummed. Is there any way you could move yours closer? Or what do you do? What is your magic yeah. bird attractant juju? Can I borrow right. some tips? I think in like, my mind, I always imagine bird watchers as very, like, calm and non-confrontational. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like I, I'm even more surprised I don't think that, that you're wrong. <laughs> I'm wrong. There are assholes of all types, including bird watchers. Clearly, <laughs> I don't know. Part of me does wonder, like, is there really nothing else that's pissing them off? I, I yeah. always am a little bit like, okay, this is the one person's side. It makes you sound fine, and the other people sound nuts. But also, is there anything else going on here? That's just my the twelve point detailed. Where I mean, I, let me, I just want to highlight one thing out of here where she says, number 10, a bark butter feeder. Number 11, a tray feeder with more local feed. And 12, a bark butter bit feeder. Not to be confused with number 10, the bark butter feeder. Like, this woman is a little, like... <laughs> she does sound like a little bit of a smug, which, you know, it's moving towards... Or maybe a little spectrum No, I don't mean asshole well, yeah, spectrum. I, I mean the yeah, other yeah, kind yeah, of spectrum, yeah. which can can have yeah, like some yeah. social, you know, interaction stuff mm-hmm. that goes along with it. So, so, yeah. so yeah, it is hard to say like how she actually right. handled, you know, the the situation. I, yeah, yeah, but and I have to say, though, living in an HOA, people will like. It's not surprising to me that a bunch of fucking Karens knocked right. on her door about bird right. feeders. Like that yeah. is not that far outside of what <laughs> yeah. they do. Yeah. Well, okay. So. Point one is like the birds are free to decide whatever they want. Like these are nobody's birds. Even the way she framed it yeah. is like, oh, they're nobody's birds. But also the fact that she planted stuff, I don't know. That gives her lots of points in my mind. Yeah. It's like she didn't just put up these feeders and buy the birds patronage. 
<laughs> you know, she invested yeah. in plants and that's going to benefit other things too. And it's just like a wonderful environment for the birds. Like what's wrong with building mm-hmm. a wonderful environment for some birds? To yeah, out? they need to all go about this differently. And basically she needs to help make her neighborhood a whole bird mm-hmm. sanctuary like her yard is. Yeah. And also, That's I wish I could just, like, tell people to do better things. Like, maybe go <laughs> join a mutual aid or I don't know. Well, a- the other thing, too, is do all the birds – I mean, it sounds like she really cares and, you know, has a lot of knowledge about the different things that people would like. But also, it is sort of dumb. You know, it's like if she gets sick, then all these birds that are dependent on hers, the where the other the other birds – you know, the other feeders maybe get taken down because they give up. And then they're all dependent on this one lady, which maybe is how she likes it, which is not really for the health of the birds either. So it should be spread around. This is one of the things that makes me super sad about HOAs is that there's so much potential. Like you have an organi- a neighborhood organization and what you're going to do is- With resources like, why and time. Together? Yeah. Yeah. So get together and make a super sick ass bird neighborhood mm-hmm. in your neighbor. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? That'd be so cool. Mm-hmm. Yep. But instead you're like, your lawn is a quarter inch too high. <laughs> my bird. My bird. Really? My bird. Homeowners Association <laughs> should abolish lawns. We're going to really go down that road. It should definitely be abolished all around. And then they should abolish themselves. <laughs> all right. Well, that was a weird one. But <laughs> you know what? So Going weird. back to my bee thing, just real quick, I just want to be clear because if anybody's like, oh, well, bees are kind of scary. And I went, I just, I didn't say this, but I actually, I left them a note last, the very first time it happened, which was three, the maybe bees? Was four years ago. The bees. Yeah. The bee neighbor situation. I left. <laughs> no, she left the neighbors. No. Note. Yeah. <laughs> I left the bees a note and I said, please come here. And then they did. So, no. I left the neighbors a note after the bees showed up because he made his discomfort with it clear. And so I left him a note and went over and knocked on their door. They weren't home. So I left a note plus a giant jar of honey from my Eureka bees and a note that said, I recognize, you know, that you guys are nervous. If you would like, he also has a kid who's like maybe like five or six at the time and offered that they could come over and I would show them the bees. I would show them how they're not aggressive. I would kind of just, you know, familiarize them with it and teach them about the bees and what to expect and how also to be around them. And blah, blah, blah. he didn't take me up on any of that shit. Right. So I, I just realized afterwards that he, I maybe didn't do a sufficient job explaining my outrage about him, which was that, I kind of tried to do what I think this woman should do in, ter- certain, in terms of these other people and be like, hey, let's help you, you know, have a better bird situation back in your backyard so that we can all enjoy mm-hmm. the birds. And he didn't take me up on any of it. And then he just showed up a couple weeks later and was like, I got stung three times. Or my- we got stung three times, which incidentally is like almost statistically impossible. Every time I go into the beehive, I don't get stung and I'm interrupting their home. And uh, it's almost, you know, unless you like step on a bee, it's not going to sting you. So as far as I'm concerned, lied to me about why they needed to get gone. And uh, yeah, it really just bums me out because his kid, you know, is going to grow up learning from his dad that bees are shitty and scary when that's just not true and that's not what kids should learn that's probably what he learned from somebody we love the birds and the bees (laughs) that's (laughs) the moral of the show (laughs) also this is going around Elle's interview so it really is about the birds and the bees (laughs) I love that does that bring us to the end of this show 
Okay, well, we know who the asshole is. I don't know. Did We never got really clear. Everybody was sort of asked, could be an asshole-ish in that scenario. I think we ultimately... Yeah, we just know that she's not. I think we landed on she's not uh, with some ideas and suggestions about how she could have handled it better. <laughs> From on high. Yeah. All right. Thank you for tuning in. You can sign up for our email list so you can get a notification whenever a new episode drops. Sign up to get notified at agitatedpodcast.com. Don't forget, we've got stickers. If you'd like one, drop us a line with your address through any of our social media channels or the website. And speaking of social media, we'd love to connect with you there. You can find us at Agitated Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Please don't forget to subscribe and rate us five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to podcasts. And if you would, leave a positive review on iTunes. It really helps the algorithm bump our podcasts and new people find us on our show. And please share us with your friends. Podcasts like ours grow through word of mouth. So thank you for your support. And a big thanks to Jason and Radical Guide for helping us produce this show and Alfonso for helping us with promotion. See you next time. The pain will make you cry.